Welcome to the Passive Income Through Multifamily Real Estate Podcast, brought to you by Limitless Estates, where Kyle and Lolita talk to top experts and seasoned passive investors in the business to help provide clarity and key insights to keep you safe on your journey to financial freedom. Our goal is to help you get educated on how to create passive income for you and your family using real estate as your vehicle. If you enjoy the show, please go to iTunes and leave a rating and written review to help us grow and reach more listeners. Now, here are your hosts, Kyle and Lolita. Hi, everyone, and thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Passive Income Through Multifamily Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Lolita, also joined by Kyle. Before we get started, please make sure to head over to our website, aptcapitalgroup.com, and grab our free Passive Investor's Guide. Also, if you're interested in learning more about what we do, you can schedule a call with Kyle on our website as well. All right, now time to get into our show. Join us at the Asset Management Virtual Summit on September 24th through October 4th. It's a 14-day content-packed event for multifamily operators and asset managers with over 1,000 attendees and over 30 amazing speakers. You will hear from experts about investor relations, maximizing revenue, building systems, KPIs, and so much more. Go to amsummit2020.com to grab your free ticket. Discover the best asset management strategies all in one place. We'll see you at the Asset Management Virtual Summit. On the show today, we have George Abreu here with us. Welcome, George. How's it going? It's going good. How are you doing? We are doing well. Well, before we get started, here is a little bit about George. George has been investing in real estate full-time for over 14 years now. He has wholesaled over 200 properties, fixed and flipped over 100 properties, and have developed several new construction projects totaling over $8 million in ground up. George is currently both an active and passive multifamily investor who has over 1,700 doors on the GP side and over 1,400 doors on the LP side. He is based out of Dallas and currently owns properties throughout Texas and Oklahoma, and he also hosts a monthly meetup with a huge attendance and following. Well, it pretty much sounds like you cover it all, and we'll have you break it down for us in today's interview, so let's have you start by telling the listeners a little bit more about yourself and what you currently do. Sure. I mean, you you said quite a bit right there, but you know, I've been doing real estate investing for about 13 years full-time now. And in the last three to four years, I've been mainly focusing on multifamily. In those 13 years, along the way, I, I decided to also open a construction company, which in the same token, I've also focused my efforts there in multifamily and commercial as well. As far as goals, you know, I want to get to 10,000 doors as soon as possible. Like you mentioned, we're, we currently have 1,720 doors next couple months, we should be getting to 2,500 doors. And, um, you know, it's not all about doors, but the 10,000 mark, I think marks where we can most likely start bringing in-house property management and really start growing from there. Awesome. Huge, huge goals there. And I want to start with a couple of large acquisitions that you've recently purchased or maybe are in the process. It sounds like a purchase purchasing. I think you closed on a thousand unit portfolio and also an eight an eight hundred and fifty unit property. So how are you able to take down properties of this size? What's the process? Yeah, so you know, the process within itself is is pretty similar to taking down a 30 unit, you know, as far as the syndication and how it's structured. The only difference when you do so many units is you have to have a team. You know, there's only so much you can personally do. So 
when I started doing the multifamily, I set out to, to, to build a team and I started it that way. So from day one, I was setting systems and processes for everything we did. And the only way to get something done at that scale is if you have systems and procedures, you know, inspecting 850 doors versus 30 doors. That's a difference. Yes. <laughs> but if you've got a good system and, and procedures in place, then it's the same thing, you know, just repeat. So I like to walk every unit when we purchase a multifamily. I can only imagine walking 850. Do you walk those yourself or is it your team that does it to, together collectively? I mean, we do it collectively. So our last large acquisition was 1,275 doors. We did inspect every single door, but took one week, a full team. I believe there was around 12 to 14 of us. Wow. Okay. Can you tell us maybe, you know, the what happened to make you go after properties this size? You don't talk to someone every day that goes after 800 unit portfolios or properties or thousand unit portfolios. I mean, you hear people say, I want a hundred plus units, but you rarely hear someone say, I'm taking down a thousand units. So when did that happen in your, you know, multifamily career? Yeah. So, I mean, it wasn't the, f- the first thing we did. We didn't step straight into that. Our first acquisition was actually 37 units. Our next one after that was 200 units, 216 units to be exact. And then, you know, I thought that's the space I was going to kind of stay in. Not a big fan of the smaller units because of payroll and what you can afford to have on site. So with networking, so I've been doing a lot of networking or was doing a lot of networking, you know, before COVID-19 and all that stuff. But in doing that, I... I teamed up with some individuals that they were focused on taking down portfolios. They had over 10,000 units and that's what they wanted to do. But to do that, they needed a scale. So they needed co-GPs and partners to help them find those deals. And that's kind of how I got into it. You know, that was the first step. And then once I did that, I noticed it wasn't much harder. You know, the 200 units wasn't much harder than the 1,275 units. So that's kind of what's led us to to focus on the the larger deals. Awesome. Well, you kind of talked about it, but what type of relationships did you need to build in order to be able to scale that large? A lot of different relationships. One, you need your your internal team, right? You know, how are you going to separate those tasks and and delegate everything that goes into that internally? And then we also needed our co-GPs or third-party relationships to get those deals closed. We didn't have the track record or the net worth or liquidity to make a $100 million acquisition. So we needed to bring in the, kind of put the pieces together in the puzzle to make it all fit. So to answer your question, internal team members, co-GPs, then everything else that you need to close a deal, you know, the, the right vendors, the right attorneys, et cetera. Okay. And you also touched on this a little earlier, but it sounds like asset management on a larger property of a thousand may be, you know, the same or easier than something that's 50 or 60 units. Can you go into why that is? You're able to to afford more when it comes to on-site staff. So that makes it a lot easier. You know, our I mentioned the 37 units, our first deal, that took a lot of hands-on mm-hmm. work to get that functioning correctly. And in, in these larger deals, I mean, you can afford to, to have that regional manager looking over it and on-site as well. You know, you can have a property manager and, and, and pay them well. And then it goes back to systems and procedures, you know, having good, uh, tracking your KPIs, meeting weekly, making sure that you're on top of it and that you're not looking at numbers after the fact, that you're not just looking at your monthly report and then it's too late to adjust. 
And once you have that down packed, I mean, it's, you know, there are times where, where you got to go put out some fires, but usually you're, if you're doing it right, hopefully you're just managing it and not putting out fire after fire. Can you talk maybe a little bit more about your systems and procedures or maybe how you track your KPIs? Because, you know, a thousand unit property, I'm, I'm sure you're renovating quite a few units at one time and there's so many things going on. How are you tracking these KPIs? So, you know, the leasing ones through different softwares, depending on we've got different property managers and Appfolio is probably the most, the one we use the most that spits out a good portion of the KPIs. But then, you know, we, we like to track our marketing as well and our traffic, see where that's coming from. And then we break that down weekly. So we, we have a, a spreadsheet that tracks the KPIs that, that we like to look at. And then that report is sent to us every week. We get on a call with our entire team. We go over them. And then um, as far as CapEx, so you mentioned interior units and, and, and that kind of stuff. So with the construction company, so our construction company does the CapEx as well. And we use a property management software. We were using BuilderTrend, and then we just switched over to another software called Red Team. And within that software, we track our project schedule, which tracks the large exterior or deferred maintenance items, as well as the interior units. The interior units become a little trickier, you know, when you have 1,275 units to upgrade and you got to keep track of all that. I am still adjusting what we use specifically to track all the units. So I'm kind of open to something there. Okay. So that red software that you mentioned, that doesn't necessarily track the interior units? It becomes a little trickier with the interior units. You'd have to create a lot of different items within it. It, it becomes too robust. So no, not necessarily. We've been using spreadsheets so far. We use the same thing and I can see the larger the property gets and the more renovations you're doing, obviously that can definitely get lost in the shuffle. So we're looking for the same thing. So is it just a matter of a mindset that you're taking down these larger deals or is there something else to it? Because again, you don't really see people taking down these larger deals. They kind of do stay in that space that you were saying, 100 to two, maybe 300 unit properties. So what's the secret here? You know what? I did forget to mention a very important piece of the whole puzzle, which was the equity partners. So versus raising 24 million from individuals, you know, at, at 75,000 or 100,000 each, we have brought in some equity institutional investors that will bring in 10 million or 15 million and make the rest of the equity raise a lot easier to do. And I think once we, we realize that we can leverage that and we can make those partnerships, that's made it a lot easier. Yeah, I would assume so. How did that relationship come about? And is it just as easy as reaching out to these guys and, and having them in on a deal? What's what's kind of the key components there to build a relationship with that type of person or that type of partner? Yeah, I mean, you, you've you've got to look in the right places. And then it is just reaching out to them and, and touching base. But then it's also having the track record. And if, if you don't have that track record, then, you know, leveraging somebody else's track record that, that you're going to partner with, they're definitely going to want to see that you're seasoned, that you've gone full cycle on some deals. So it's not like you can just jump straight into it with nobody behind you, you know, but other than that, it's just reaching out to them, you know, and, and, and building a relationship like you would with a broker or, or anyone else. And depending on the institutional or where the capital is coming from, you know, these types of institutional funds can take longer to close on or could pull out last minute. Can you talk a little bit more about that and, and maybe some of the challenges that could arise if you are working with such a big uh, funder? Yeah. 
I mean, how I lost all my hair. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it could be nerve-wracking. I mean, so everything's negotiable. It, you can negotiate with them to where you're not literally just waiting for them to send the check the day before you close. You know, if you can get them to to put some money in, some funds in before the closing, that's ideal. Easier said than done, but it can be done. <laughs> if you don't do that, I mean, you, you need to have some backups. You know, we... On the first one we we closed, we had two parties fall out, you know, commit and then uncommit. But we had several backups lined up and you got to be ready to hustle. I mean, yeah, you got to make it happen. Yeah, I can only imagine needing 10 or 15 million to close on a deal and someone backs out. I mean, I would lose every piece of hair on yeah. my head, you know, so Not that's fun. definitely <laughs> time. And uh, yeah, that's good. You have backups. I mean, that's important with anything, whether you're raising, you know, just 1 million or 24 million, right? You can't expect all that to come in. So, okay, great. So as a CEO of your own investment group, where do you see yourself spending the most time to get the best results? Because there's so many things going on. Plus, you're the CEO of, you know, your uh, construction company too. So what do you see the best results coming out? When I can concentrate most of my time on marketing and networking, naturally, I'm, I'm, I like to market and, and advertise the company or what we do and how we help individuals. But it's hard to do that when you start getting tied up in the day to day. So like right now, we just added a, a VA to our team and we're doing more systems and procedures and getting it all all out there so that I can focus my time on those things that I know will take us to the next level and, and help us scale. I just know sometimes it's hard to kind of step back and, and look at that and, and get tied up in the in the day-to-day. So I'm constantly checking myself and pre-planning my week to make sure I don't get trapped in that. And I'm still able to to work on the vision and the marketing aspect of the company. Yeah. So pretty soon you said you're going to be here at 2,500 units. Who's part of your team right now? Right now, it's I've got my partner, Eric, our partner, Carrie, and then John. So Eric Bodywala, Carrie Bednars, and John Akocha. For the most part, Eric does a lot of the day-to-day operations type stuff. Carrie does a lot of investor relations and helps with the marketing and then John mostly focuses on acquisitions and also some bringing in new investors. And then I mainly focus on, like I said, like the vision, leading the team and marketing. Okay. And then you mentioned you brought on a VA. What does that VA currently do for you? So that VA is trying to do the tedious work, like a lot of if we've got any data entry or if we've got a graphics for for marketing or just helping us get our our blogs out so a lot of content not so much creation but you know getting it out there and there's more but i'm just forgetting right now yeah yeah i think it's just all the stuff that just doesn't generate revenue right i've i've tried it and i'm and i'm i'm working with that as well and it's um it's just all the small stuff and there's a lot of small stuff even uh i want to get to the point where my va can answer my emails or or a majority of them. And I'm not at that point yet, but absolutely. Well, great. Where do you see is next uh, for you and your team? Next, like I mentioned earlier, I mean, I, I, I want to get to that 10,000 level, 10,000 doors. So we've really taken this stay at home, whatever you call it, but this last six weeks or seven weeks to really focus on our systems and procedures, get everything out there so that we can continue to grow and add team members and get to that goal of 10,000 doors before the end of next next year was the original goal. COVID-19 has slowed that down a little bit, but we'll see. You know, maybe we just got to push. I do think there's going to be a lot of opportunities popping up here sh- shortly. 
I don't think it's going to last that long. Hopefully, you know, we start getting back. We we're just talking about before we went live, you know, about Texas just opened back up and a bunch of other states. So hopefully we open up correctly and, and we can get back sooner than later. Yep. I'm hopeful for that too. I, I do see there is a buying opportunity coming, but I do think it's going to be a shorter window. I think it will be a two to three year kind of recovery, but I think the buying window is going to be shorter than that, kind of like you mentioned. So Lolita is going to take us into our final four questions. Are you ready? All right, George, here we go. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by asset protection attorney, Wayne Patton. We all spend a lot of time thinking about ways to make more money. But how much time have you spent thinking about legal strategies to protect your wealth? Whether you're a professional, an investor, or an entrepreneur, you are at risk of being targeted in a lawsuit. Wayne is an attorney who specializes only in asset protection strategies like the use of offshore trusts. If you'd like to learn more about how you can protect your assets, visit mwpadden.com or assetprotection.law. Mention this podcast and Wayne will waive his customary $750 initial consultation fee. Again, the website is mwpadden.com or assetprotection.law. Or you can call Wayne at 877-727-1092. Call now and get protected today. What is the one tool you use in real estate investing that you could not do without? Oof. The one tool? Mm-hmm. I would say it either be CoStar or Active Campaign. Sorry, I know you said one, but... That's okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right, thanks. Can you tell us a story about your biggest mistake in real estate investing so far? And what is the main takeaway for our listeners? Oof. In real estate investing in general is probably starting with single family homes. I would have loved to go straight into multifamily, but I think it was a little bit of mindset thinking that I could not acquire a hundred plus unit apartment. So yeah, I mean, if, if 13 years ago I started with apartments, it'd be a different story. No doubt about it. Yeah. How is this going to say Kyle can relate to that too? <laughs> what is it that you need to do now to grow your life to the next level? My life in general, I've, I've said so much already. I don't want to say the same thing. You know, I, I do think, not to sound like a broken record, but systems and procedures is very important. It's something that, you know, maybe eight eight years into full-time real estate investor, I kind of woke up one day and I realized that if I was to walk away or when I would go on vacation, I mean, my, my phone was nonstop, everything was funneling through me. And when I realized that, and the only way to to really create that wealth is to have things working while you're not there, you know, have the passive income, you know, business can be passive income as well if you build it that way. So since then I kind of started on that path and I feel like I I've made great improvements, but I still got that last stretch Yeah. where if I put a little bit more work in a couple of years from now, I'll be there. Sounds good. And lastly, George, where can people find out more about you? Our website is elevatecig.com. You can also shoot me an email at George, spelled Jorge, J-O-R-G-E, at elevatecig.com. If your listeners want to send me uh, an email, I'll send them a couple checklists I have. I have questions to ask a sponsor before you, you invest and also a due diligence checklist. 
Perfect. Well, thanks for your time and sharing your real estate journey with us today. We enjoyed having you on our show. Okay. Thank you both. I enjoyed it. Thanks, George. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please go to iTunes and leave a rating and written review to help us grow and reach more listeners. You can also go to the Passive Income Through Multifamily Real Estate Group on Facebook so you can connect with Kyle and Lolita and ask your questions that you want them to answer on the show. Subscribe too so that you can get the latest episodes. Lastly, to stay updated, head on over to limitless-estates.com and sign up for the newsletter. If you're interested in partnering with Kyle and Lolita, sign up on the Contact Us page so you can talk to them directly. Thanks again for joining us. Be sure to tune in again next week for another episode.